This episode is sponsored by Lighter Water. Guys, we all love water. We love to drink it. But let's face it, sometimes it's just too heavy. We all know the embarrassment of being in public, raising a glass of water to our lips, and then struggling with its weight. Why should it take two hands to raise a glass of water to your lips? Now there's a solution. Lighter Water. Lighter Water's team of hydration technicians have figured out how to make water less heavy on the molecular level. How do they do it? They use science. Lighter water has all the great taste and hydration of regular water, but it weighs 50% less. It's just plain lighter. You've probably seen the incredible viral video Lighter Water released this weekend of a weak man reveling in the newfound freedom and strength of drinking a glass of water using only one hand very strongly. He looks confident, strong, totally in control of his body and mind, and you can too by switching from regular water to lighter water. Don't be embarrassed by how stupid and wimpy you look while struggling to drink a glass of water. Go to www.lighterwater.webstore.internet and use promo code EPMH2O at checkout for 15% off your first order of 20 bottles of lighter water. Lighter water is better water. You can look strong drinking water. Welcome to Election Profit Makers, everyone. This is your guide to winning and losing money on the 2020 election and related catastrophes. I'm David Reese, and I'm joined by my friend Starley Kine. Hi, Starley. Hi. And also, John Kimball. Hey, everyone. Oh, boy. Well, there was so much news this week, it made my tummy hurt. But before we get to the Tulsa rally and three upcoming primaries and listener questions, we're going to start by updating our listeners, that's you people, on last week's bets. John, do you remember your bet from last week and how did it pan out? It really hasn't moved that much, but I, I bet into the balance of power markets, bet into the Democrats uh, winning the House and the Senate, and it hasn't moved. You have a stable investment for the time being. Yep. Let us pray it remains so. Yes, let's do. Let's pray. Begin. Heavenly Father, we come to you on bended knee, beseeching that in your wisdom and grace, you allow John Kimball's bet regarding the balance of power in the Senate and House to remain stable, strong, a cornerstone. Isn't that the passage? The something, the piece of shit stone has become the cornerstone. That's a <laughs> verse in the Bible where he's like, some old dusty rock that nobody liked is now the foundation of this church. God, that's what we hope will happen with John's bet. Amen. Starley. What was your bet from last week? Yeah, I'm just monitoring these VP markets, but, you know, they're really up. How's they that really... stability working out for you, <laughs> Starly? They just bounce around. It's like they have a life of their mind at this point, this market. A life of their mind? A life of, oh, I was thinking, oh. I was combining life of mm -hmm. the mind with life of their own. Like, I'll show you the life of the mind? Yeah. John Goodman walking down the burning hallway with his laptop open, showing Barton Fink his predicted market. <laughs> <laughs> this is, that is what John's doing to us. I know, right? This is how, that is how this season two will end. <laughs> <laughs> Starly, you and I are Barton Fink. We're just trying to get this wallpaper back up in position. John Kimball's John Goodman. I'll show you the life of the mind. Yeah, now we're all on fire in this hotel. We got a bird dropping out of the sky on the beach. <laughs> us betting with our hearts is, is Barton Fink just trying to write his... His, his novel, and it drives John Kimball nuts. John Kimball is not here to make friends, no. to coin a phrase. He's here to make money. I'm here for both. Yeah. Mm. 
Damn. All right. We're all a little punchy because we've had so much news to process. Our brains are melting down. Yeah. Woo. This is going to be our own personal Tulsa rally. This episode will forever be known as the <laughs> Tulsa rally of election profit makers. We're all going to be stumbling off helicopter Tony's helicopter in a daze with our hats all crumpled up and our 50 foot long neckties hanging down below our waist like we stole a ribbon from a mall ribbon cutting ceremony and used it as a necktie. So the v- I don't know. The VP market is Kamala remains strong. She's at 55 cents right now. And then all the rest of them are kind of like jockeying for room. We got to point out that news broke since last week is that Klobuchar announced she's out. Oh, yeah. So, right. It seems like a long time ago now. Golly, you're right. Klobuchar dropped out and said it should be a woman of color who gets the nomination. That was the news right there that she knifed Warren. (laughs) Oh, it would be so amazing if Joe Biden picked Pete Buttigieg just to fuck with <laughs> Amy Klobuchar. He was like, I know I said I would pick a woman of color, but I love this kid, Pete Buttigieg. Amy Klobuchar would be so happy if that happened. So, Starley, did you make any moves in those markets or um, you advised me? You told me right away that I should sell my Demings. And I actually followed your advice and went ahead and took a loss and got out. Of my Demings. Oh, your shares. Demings no. Good, Got good. out of your nose. Yeah, so. my de- okay. my Demings no. Yeah. 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 Well, she's she's number two right now in the predicted VP market. She's at 17 cents. Keisha Land's bottoms plummeted this week. Elizabeth Warren clings on. And there was also a there was also an episode of the podcast, The Daily, that just recapped the situation that told us nothing. Oh, John, add it to our podcast shit list. Another podcast to destroy and burn to the ground (laughs) as we continue our assault on America's eardrums. Do a lot of people listen to that podcast? I think it's hugely popular. Then it will be all the sweeter to bring it to its knees. (laughs) It's called The Daily. The Daily. It's done by The New York Times, correct? Yes. Yeah, we got this. <laughs> the the most interesting thing about the VP market is no one has any answers. It's just a lot of groping in the dark. Wow, great metaphor there for picking Joe Biden's VP Starley. Wow. Yeah. It's going to be it's going to be Harris. They they have these others set up in case they find something awful. I bought Kamala at 36 cents and so I'm doing pretty good. You're yeah, hold, hold. Just keep holding. Hold, hold, hold. Uh my bet of the week last week was I I just got even deeper into that Wisconsin market that the Democratic nominee would win the Wisconsin presidential election. And I'm up and I have very good news from my man on the ground. Well, he's not literally on the ground in Wisconsin, but he's in he's on the East Coast keeping close tabs on Wisconsin. Corey, the Kenosha kid, is feeding me very, very encouraging intel. Corey, you keep that intel flowing and all our Wisconsin listeners you better make sure I get my money. After all I've done for you, I put my soul on the line week after week. I sit here before you spread eagled on the ground with my heart thumping out of my chest. You guys better make sure that the Democratic nominee wins Wisconsin. That's my uh, personal message to all Wisconsin listeners. All other states ignore that message. Let's get into our news canon. Let's do a little thought experiment that someday. This rally in Tulsa, Oklahoma, is one of the top 20 most significant political rallies in U.S. history. I hate to think like a magazine person. You know how people get afflicted with magazine mind and they're always like, 
What does Starley, Starley Kind's Barton Fink cultural references have to do in this moment? Why in this moment are we all searching for genre fiction? What does the success of rewatching The Sopranos say about this moment? That's called Magazine Mind, and, and we're all affected by it. And I wonder in Magazine Mind mode, which I'm currently engaged in, what does this Tulsa rally say about our current moment? John Kimball, explain all. You know, in many ways, it this rally wasn't that much different than a lot of his rallies. It was just a lot of grievance and a lot of complaining and a lot of uh, racism trickled in there. But the biggest difference was the buildup to this. Oh, did they hype this rally nah, very much, and, John? And I was Ooh. convinced by all their hyping that this was going to be huge. So they had said that they had um, sold or registered a million tickets. Now, no one thought that a million people were going to show up, but they clearly thought that 100,000 were going to show up and were saying that over and over and over. And that would be filling in the BOK Center, which is 20,000 people, and then an overflow area. But none of that happened. Didn't even come close. You know, according to the fire marshal, only 6,100 people showed up and there was nobody in the overflow area. 6,100? That's how many people? To be fair, I heard 6,200. <laughs> okay. Well, I would just like to say that the New York Times wrote that it was one third empty. And I knew, because I'm an expert on <laughs> estimating crowd sizes, <laughs> that uh -huh. that was not true. Because only the lower bowl was full. And... If you know anything about these stadiums, people assume that the lower and the upper bowls are equal, but the upper bowl is much larger because it expands a bigger area. So I knew that it tell was him, only Johnny. a third. So when I oh, heard Johnny, that, you tell them about these bowls, you tell them about the difference between the lower bowl and the upper bowl, because we got these idiots in the mainstream media acting like the upper bowl is the same size as the lower bowl. Get the yeah. fuck out of here. Yeah. So I was Go ahead, John. pumped when the Tulsa fire marshal came out with the 6,100, 6,200 estimation. I said, yeah, that's right on. So he was he was doing that material. That material was wasted on only 6,200 people. Oh, I wouldn't say it was wasted. It's like when Chappelle shows up at the Comedy Cellar and the small handful of people who've stuck it out and are still there at three in the morning get to see Chappelle try out some new material or some old hits. Maybe he's just getting his sea legs back because he's been off, you know, hasn't been on the circuit for three months. And then they can fly home to their relatives and say, well, we went to New York City. It was amazing. We were at this underground comedy club and Dave Chappelle came by. There weren't many of us there, but it was incredible to be so close to him. Oh, we all caught a disease and we're all, you know, all have weeks to live, but whatever. It was worth it. That's exactly what it was. He was he started off a little rusty on so, sort of his old stuff. And, and and you knew the ramp thing was coming because he had been defensive about it <laughs> on Twitter. But I didn't know that it was going to go for 15 minutes. Now, is that really was it really 15 minutes? I didn't watch the rally. Yes, it was 15 minutes. It was physical comedy. He he drew it out again. It's like a Chappelle show when he, you know, it's like, oh, my God, were you at were you at that comedy club when Dane Cook did 12 hours straight? <laughs> he did 45 minutes on red shoelaces. He really did 15 minutes on that ramp. He did. It was great. Yeah. And you know what he started with with the ramp? The act had many beats. So before he worked up to the 600 time salute, he said he was at West Point to give the speech and also to do a little inspecting. Did you, you see guys that, didn't John? tell me that. Did you miss that? Did I did miss that. 
He was inspecting? He said he did some very good inspecting. It's a beautiful campus, some beautiful inspecting of this beautiful campus. God damn, this dude is Sherlock Holmes. When I heard inspecting, I was like, oh, this is, he's he's found his footing. Ironic, given the topic. He's talking about the ramp, right? Yeah. Interestingly, his conversation about the ramp was him saying that he had found his footing, right? Yeah. In a way. His conversation about the ramp was saying that he never lost his footing. It's just his shoes. He blamed- leather bottom shoes. They're killers. You got to be careful of these leather bottom shoes. He actually convinced me. I mean, it. <laughs> seriously, he did. I mean, oh, that's that's fine. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, we have to admit what's yeah. funny ab- ab- about Trump walking down this ramp <laughs> is, um, yeah, I mean, for all I know that the, the story checks out. <laughs> no, no, no. He is not no. lying about the ramp. It makes sense. He, I listen. I understand. When, there is such a thing as a slippery dress shoe. Okay. On occasion, I have been in situations where I have worn leather-bottomed dress shoes, and you don't want to walk a ramp with no handrail wearing those shoes. It you would be nervous, right? And if someone saw me doing that and taking my little waddling steps, and they were like, "Oh, he has dementia. He has Parkinson's. He's an idiot. He doesn't know how to walk. He has a fear of ramps." I would get offended. I would say, no, it's my shoes. It's my shoes. It's these infernal leather bottom dress shoes you're making me wear. Why did you put this Easter buffet at the bottom of a ramp? And then you would draw it out for 15 minutes. To get back to the comedy club analogy, what's interesting is that he's he's going through the, he's delivering it as though he is telling jokes. He's acting like he is doing stand up, but they're not jokes. And yeah. so watching people react incredible. to that is so fascinating. It, yeah. yeah. The fact that he's standing there telling people <laughs> the most minute details, like for 15 <laughs> oh, minutes, <and> <laughs> like they're not used to their president talking about the clothes that he put on that day. They're, and they're trying to fall into the rhythm of watching a stand up show. They're trying right. to work with him. <laughs> and also, um, there's a worldwide virus that has killed 120,000 Americans and could tank the economy. And there is massive unrest about police departments all over the country. And he's sitting there spending 15 minutes talking about a ramp. Yeah. And it's like the structure of comedy, but no jokes. It's like anti-comedy. Like, I guarantee if he loses his reelection, he will get an adult swim show <laughs> and it'll just be yeah. weird. Yes. Weird anti-comedy. We'll have all these obnoxious billboards. It'll say the Trump zone. Thursday nights at 11.15 a.m. on Adult Swim. Because, you know, Adult Swim always has the fucking weirdest. It's like, yeah, it's going to be on at 1.35 a.m. Oh, OK, good. That's easy to remember. Trump is totally going to get an Adult Swim show. <laughs> so I didn't watch the rally and I wasn't going to watch much of it. And then I wanted to I was like, let me see about this ramp. If this guy truly killed for 15 minutes just discussing how he once walked down a ramp, then we have a new like genius in comedy and storytelling. So I went to the Washington Post, had a super cut of it. I guess what they did was they just trimmed away all the fat and it was like a two minute bit about the ramp. And watching it, I have to say, I got a little nervous because I was like, wait, I heard this rally was a disaster. My man is killing it. This is really funny. And I will say this and nobody take it the wrong way. But if you watch footage of Trump completely out of context and know nothing about him, he can be charming. Like he is funny. He does sometimes seem to genuinely be enjoying himself. (laughs) And in the ramp story, he does something very unusual, which is kind of poke fun at his own situation. 
right. When he says, General, I'm, I'm going to grab General, you. I might I'm, grab I'm you. I'm going to fall yeah. on my ass. Yeah, I funny. couldn't believe it. Even, we even went blue. It was like the midnight show. You know, it was like, yeah. what's everyone talking about how this rally was a fiasco? This dude's going to win re-election by 20 points. This <laughs> ramp story is killing. But then I saw, a, I saw a viral video of a man in the audience filming everything on his phone. And that guy took the biggest yawn I have ever seen. I clocked it. It was a 10-second yawn soup to nuts just the most amazing bear-like expression of abject boredom so i don't know i guess my question to you guys who watched more than of the rally than i did is was it objectively a disaster yeah the visuals of of nobody being there his his energy was pretty low for most of it yeah i think it was objectively a disaster the ramp was a highlight but the true highlight for me was when he pivoted to the water and you watched it live, right, John? You were watching this live? I watched it live uh, with my parents. Wait, which came first, the ramp story or the water no, stuff? No, the ramp story came first. See, it's a, mi- a mix of storytelling and prop comedy. Yes. This is yeah. like if Garrison Keillor and Carrot Top were in one human form. This is total entertainment. When he when when he turned to the water story, I you know immediately perked up like, okay, now we got <laughs> new material. This is breaking news. And is he really going here? I couldn't believe he was going there. And I was terrified that he wasn't going to be able to pull this bit off. And then when he actually picked up the water, I was so nervous that he wasn't going to be able to handle it. But he nailed it. He picked it up. I mean, we have to give him credit. He He did. He He drank it. it perfectly. I mean, oh my, it was like Simone Biles. It's just like the <laughs> physicality and the grace. Like, how do you get to that place in life? It's amazing. Yeah. So how did you feel when that when he pulled it off, John? <laughs> Were you like, oh, fuck, this dude's going to get reelected. Yeah. Look at him, king of water glasses. I was inspired. It, it actually, it, it reminded me of um, George W. Bush after 9-11 when he went to Yankee Stadium and, you know, he was wearing his bulletproof vest and threw that perfect pitch. You know, he just nailed it. Yeah. And and that this this was um, Trump's 9-11 moment. He nailed the drinking. He knew he nailed it. Yeah. He just tossed the glass away. Again, a comedy club analogy. Drop the mic, throw the glass of water away. Exactly. He literally threw it away. Well, he hated the he hated the glass of water. Because he knew he had to prove to everyone that he could drink the glass of water. And he just hated being in that position. And so when he was done, he threw it away because he felt maybe he felt ashamed, you know, crowd loved it, though. No, he conquered it. He conquered the glass of water. And that's what you do when you it's like what he does with women. Yes. Conquer, discard, move on to the next glass of water, conquer, discard, move on to the next glass of water. So we all saw after the rally, these incredible images that would break helicopter Tony's heart (laughs) of Donald Trump disrespecting helicopters with his slovenly and deflated descent from Marine One, the official helicopter that presidents get to fly around in, walking back into the White House. Now, that was an image of a very humanized Donald Trump. And even though I was worried that he crushed at his rally because of the amazing supercut I saw of his ramp material, seeing the way he was walking off that helicopter, I was like, that looks like a dude who is bummed out. Yeah, he looked defeated at that point, for sure. 
That was a Charlie Brown. Totally. That little redheaded girl. <laughs> she's not calling you back, man. She gave you a fake number, Charlie Brown. Move on. Move on, Charlie Brown. Yeah. Why did they let him get off the helicopter looking like that? Is it because they thought it would humanize him and that all us bleeding heart liberals would be like, oh, that's right. He's just a sad, broken man. I guess I will vote for him and Don't forgive him, him all his evils. Don't they hate him? Isn't that why? Well, first of all, he was probably screaming at everybody on the helicopter ride home. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah. And maybe he undid his tie in a rage and was just ranting and raving. And they were all like, I'm so tired of working for this guy. If he, let's not even tell him to neaten up and look good when he gets off the helicopter. He looks like he's walking away from a drunk driving accident. <laughs> it's like something went wrong at that orthodontist convention. And now I'm walking back to the best Western. Yeah. Literally, he had his hat in his hand. I think he's genuinely dazed because he's been his entire life. He's been told he's the most important person that continued through his presidency. And I think him going into that stadium and seeing that sea of empty seats was such a shock to his system. This is what happens when you're a king, when you're when you're like a, a tyrannical, tantrum-prone king. They 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 keep reality from you. And so his come down is greater than other come downs that we would experience. Because he had instilled himself for the possibility that might not that it might not be great. Yeah. And he loves things being great. So they should tell him that his come down to reality is the greatest. And then he could brag about that. <laughs> yeah, that's like, true. He actually yeah. did achieve the greatest something because no one has thought they are more special than him. So what what do we think happened here? Why did this happen? Are, are these MAGA people truly smarter than we think and that a lot of them were not buying into this idea that it was safe. The puzzle of that is, are they, if they're smarter than we think, are they still dumb enough to vote for him? Yeah. If you hate the way the country is going and you hate that they're tearing down Confederate statues and you hate Barack Obama and you hate all these Mexicans coming in from Mexico, you can still vote for Trump, but you can also be like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I want to risk it at this rally. Plus, hours before the rally started, news came out that six of the campaign staffers tested positive for coronavirus. Now, maybe that was too late in the game to affect people's uh, attendance at the rally. But still, like, I think a lot of people probably for, you know, for all the viral videos we see of Trump supporters being like, coronavirus is fake. I don't know anyone who has it. If it's my time to die, that's fine. God will decide. I'm not going to live in fear. Let me into this Walmart without a mask. I'm going to push you out of the way. I must buy my tub of raisins or whatever. Mm -hmm. Right. There are people who probably perform coronavirus skepticism, but are actually, when it really comes down to it, would probably err on the side of caution. Yep. And the polling backs that up. The, po the yeah. polling shows that the, the majority of Republicans uh, feel that coronavirus is real and that wearing masks is not a bad idea. So I think you're right. There is a performative aspect of it for some people. I mean, there's also this theory, you know, that the TikTok teens and the K-pop fans inflated the numbers of possible attendees with fake telephone numbers and fake email addresses. And if that actually did have an uh, an impact and actually did fuck up the Trump campaign's digital outreach program, then this is just another bit of evidence that Generation Z is kicking Generation X's ass. Mm -hmm. And Generation X is, we fucking failed. So we're the worst generation. Yeah. And Generation Z 
is is going to get it done. I don't want to put too much stock in that because I don't like going on Twitter and seeing all these middle-aged people being like, oh, the Generation Z is going to save us. It's like, they're probably not going to vote. Like, we should all just step up and try to be as good as these TikTok kids are. Like, K-pop stands and TikTok teens cannot be the new Robert Mueller, where it's like, oh, they'll fix everything. I can't wait for a for some K-pop band <laughs> I've never heard of to single-handedly bring down the Trump regime and have everybody impeached through TikTok videos of them dabbing or whatever they do in their, you know, whether while away their adolescent hours. <laughs> There's no savior thing. But I mean, reading that stuff was kind of like making me love all teenagers. Yeah. Plus, I went to a yesterday, I went to a, a skateboard protest for Black Lives Matter with a bunch of skaters. And I was like, kids are the greatest. All adults should die. <laughs> Kids are the greatest. Kids are so cool doing these jumps on their skateboard with no helmets and no knee pads. It's it's just like they it's amazing. You just gotta you gotta love the kids. All adults go away. Beckett, you're still banned. And we failed. Gen X fucked up so bad. I mean, we can do a whole episode about I have a whole theory about why Gen X fucked up. Okay, so this could be a legendary rally, and if we use our magazine mind, if Trump loses re-election, we could write a big think piece about how one night in Tulsa, Oklahoma, sealed Donald Trump's fate. Because everybody was waiting with bated breath, obviously, Trump haters and Trump lovers, that this rally would would portend something for the future. Either he's back better than ever after three months away in his basement honing his craft, or that he would, hate to say it, step on his own dick. And it looks like the latter occurred. And so now, unpredicted, Biden has his biggest lead ever. The spread is Biden 57 cents, Trump 44 cents. Trump has another rally, I think, on Tuesday night when this comes out in Arizona. That could be a huge bellwether because now, oh, my God, the pressure is on. Yeah, they got to be nervous now. I mean, if he fucks up this second, I mean, honestly, though, it just reminds me of debate and setting expectation at presidential debates. And you have a bad debate and then you come back and you either kick ass or you just continue to flounder. Tomorrow night's rally in a way will be even more important than the Tulsa rally. IMHO. John, any final thoughts on this Tulsa event? I enjoyed it thoroughly. I'm glad. It really was a little bit of a pick-me-up during a dark time. Thank you, Donald Trump, for being such a fucking failure and a huge fuck-up in Tulsa, Oklahoma. You made a lot of people really happy. Goodbye, Tulsa. Goodbye, Tulsa. John, say goodbye to Tulsa. Uh, good Goodbye, Tulsa. We wanted to touch very briefly on three upcoming primaries each of which has a market unpredicted. We're not going to do super deep dives into this, but we did want to acknowledge some of these uh, primaries because they're kind of interesting. The first, we rarely do this. This is a listener request. When I lived outside Cleveland for college, there was a wonderful late night DJ named Bobby Rush, and he would play R&B slow jams on the Cleveland Urban Station. And I would listen to it and he would say, you're cruising along on your Rush. For lovers only, Bobby Rush. And I would make tapes. It was a golden age of um, slow jams because um, Jodeci was at the the height of their powers, as were some other singers who are now problematic and will not be mentioned. So, by request, this one's going out to JK in the Philadelphia area. For lovers only, the New York 16 congressional primary, Elliot Engel versus Jamal Bowman. Now, here's the deal, John Kimball and Starley Kine. Elliot Engel hasn't had a primary challenge in 20 years, okay? This is a fusty, crusty Democrat. (laughs) He's also the first person that Hillary Clinton has endorsed this season. Mm. He has, like your host Kid Midas, 
a hang in their kitty cat mustache, although I think his has been around longer than mine has. <laughs> and he's only trading at 35 cents. John Kimball, is this a slow jam to watch? Could young progressive upstart Jamal Bowman, who has the endorsement of Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, and AOC, actually defeat Elliot Engel? Yes, I think so. Yeah. Predict it seems to to think so. And I, 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 I believe in uh, the power of prediction markets sometimes. So, yeah. Okay. I'll probably be focusing more on the margin of victory um, bracket market instead of necessarily who wins. For those of you who get your news entirely from Twitter clips that go viral, Elliot Engel is the guy who showed up in the Bronx at the Black Lives Matter protest and asked for some time on the mic. And when he was told by Bronx Borough President that he might not be able to get to him because there are a lot of people, Elliot Engel said, if I didn't have a primary, I wouldn't care. <laughs> and the Bronx Borough President said, what did you say? And Elliot Engel a political genius, <laughs> repeated the exact same phrase just to make sure everybody heard it. Nailed it. <laughs> if I didn't have a primary, I wouldn't care. Incredible. Woo! Also, he's been living down in Maryland since the pandemic started. Um, his primary residence is in Maryland for tax purposes. So that's cool when you represent New York to, to not have your primary residence be there. So I don't know anything about Bowman. Do you guys? No, he was recruited to run by the Justice Democrats which is that organization that was co-founded by one of your best friends who you love so much, John Kimball, Chank. I know you love Chank of the Young Turks and can't get enough of him. Big, big fan. Yeah. Jamal Bowman has the stain of the Justice Democrats on him. He's a teacher. He's from public education. Okay. A local guy. So that's our request to listener JK in the Philadelphia area. Uh, I think Jamal Bowman is going to win. Yeah, me too. I think so it's going to be kind of that's going to be kind of big. Yeah. And um, you know what? This is a bonus for JK in the Philadelphia area. I'm going to buy shares of No and Elliot Engel just to just to have some skin in the game there. Moving on. Second primary. This obviously is the big one. Kentucky Senate primary. Two Democrats facing off Charles Booker versus Amy McGrath. This is also going down on Tuesday, which is probably when you'll be hearing this episode. But I wonder if it won't be called until later in the week because of absentee ballots and mail-in ballots. It's not going to be called to like 2021. Right. Right. This primary was moved from mid-May to June. So it was delayed by a month. And then there was a scramble to get um, mail-in ballots going. And some people still haven't received their mail-in ballots, which have to be postmarked by the date of the primary, which is Tuesday, June 23rd. And then, of course, also the reason this came up in the news is that Kentucky started closing a ton of polling locations. In what areas? Oh, in white, uh, uh, mostly in white, upper middle class conservative areas. They were like, yeah, anyone who lives in a gated community has to drive across the state. You can cast your ballot in this abandoned gas station. No, mostly black areas. Yeah. So they were really what they were scrambling to do was to to make it harder to vote than to make it easier. Exactly. The one complicating thing is that the single polling location for Jefferson County which is a county of more than three quarters of a million people, is actually like a big convention hall. It's not like there's going to be 700,000 people waiting in line outside a post office. Like it is going to be in a, in okay. a big place. Right. I'm not saying it's a good look. I'm not saying they're not trying to suppress the vote. But just my image when I saw this stuff on Twitter was, oh, my God, that poor post office or that poor VFW hall is going to get rocked within an inch of its life. It's only going to have but five 
you know, five voting machines, but it is going to be in a big, huge convention hall. On the other hand, after Georgia and Wisconsin, look at Trump tweeting today about how mail-in ballots are going to be printed by foreign governments and sent and sent to America to corrupt the election. Like if they win, they're going to do it by disenfranchising people and making it harder to vote. And so Kentucky obviously is a case in point because even if it's a huge convention hall and everyone can vote and it's actually not a huge pain in the ass, it, the optics of it is still like, oh, yeah, they're going to make it hard for people to vote. Maybe I won't vote or something like that. I mean, have as someone who just sent in a mail-in ballot for the first time in my life, yeah, it's really stressful. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's so easy to make a mistake in those things. I worry about it too, especially if, if if it's happening in states that don't have a history of vote by mail, so people haven't done it before. So, John, what is going to happen in this Kentucky primary? Amy McGrath. Amy McGrath is going to win. Oh, really? Charles Booker cannot. Amy McGrath is down four cents on predicted and Booker is up two cents. It still leaves her at 57 to his 45. People were hoping that the awful fallout from the Breonna Taylor murder in Louisville would help Charles Booker. And I guess it has helped to surge somewhat. But you still think it's Amy McGrath? I'm looking at it right now. It looks like she's trading at 57 cents. He's trading at 45 yep. cents. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm inclined to think it, it, it will be her, whether he's he's surging or not. Yep. And then Amy McGrath will lose to Mitch McConnell in November, correct? Yes. It, it doesn't matter who it is. Unbelievable. They, they will lose to McConnell. Unbelievable. He's literally the least popular member of the Senate in his home state. I mean, even in his home state, they hate him. But I guess they know upon which side their bread is buttered. It's Kentucky. Yeah. Do you want to do our third primary? The third primary is the Colorado Senate primary featuring John Hickenlooper versus Andrew Romanoff. That's going to be on June 30th. Winner will face Corey Gardner. And whoever the winner is, is very likely to win. Romanoff seems to be surging because Hickenlooper has really had some stumbles in the past few weeks, right? Mm, predicted has Hickenlooper at 83 and Romanoff at 15. So I don't know about I don't know about that surge. Also, Elizabeth Warren endorsed Hickenlooper, which is fucked up because Hickenlooper has all these ethics violations. She's obviously endorsing him because she knows it's it's uh, more than likely over. A fate accompli. And also, it's an open primary there. So Hickenlooper being the more centrist candidate could get independents or even Republicans to come in and vote for him. Also, Republicans really are boosting Romanoff. It's like what happened in North Carolina when the Republican Party was taking out ads for Erica Smith because they would have rather faced her than Cal Cunningham. Right. So this is, I guess, one of those things when you have to decide how spiritually dead you're going to be as an individual. Do you want Hickenlooper, the crappier candidate to win because he actually has a better chance of unseating Cory Gardner? Or do you go all in on Romanoff? I guess this is an age-old dynamic that we all remember from elections of yesteryear. I'd be going with Hickenlooper. All right. John, let's do listener questions. We've put together a very special package this week of three North Carolina-related questions. But before we do that, we have a question about Denmark. I have a question for John. I would like to know his thoughts on the proposed skyline of Brande, Denmark. I can't believe we've gone so far afield in skylines that not only are we discussing skylines of the present and skylines of the past, but now even proposed skylines of the future. John, what is the deal with this proposed skyline in Denmark? I was embarrassed I didn't know about it, but I love the idea. It's a proposed skyline, not a proposed, it's not a proposed skyscraper. Right, yeah. It's just a proposed skyline. And the reason why <laughs> is because this is a rural Denmark town that has a population of 7,000. So it doesn't have any 
buildings hardly at all. That's still 8,000 more people than Trump's rally. Damn. So that <laughs> town is gaining. So this proposed tower is being proposed by this fashion company, bestseller, and they are proposing to build this skyscraper, which would be the tallest in Western Europe, taller than the <laughs> shard in London. Really? Yeah. It would be one of the tallest, the top 100 tallest buildings in the world. It would be oh one of the tallest God. in Manhattan. It's 1,050 feet, 320 meters in the middle of nowhere. Is, is it like an ad? But yeah. I mean, that's a good way of putting it. I mean, I, I you know, apparently the town. Oh, is my in, God. In, <laughs> are, yeah, look, just look it up. I mean, apparently the town is in favor of it. But what? the guy who's building it is one of the richest men in Denmark. That's insane. So I'm I'm. It, it's possible that they're just scared of him. I think it's ridiculous. I think one skyscraper. It looks like that horrible skyscraper on what is it? West 57th in Manhattan. That yeah. one that just looks like a stack of children's blocks. It's like one of those oligar- one of those empty oligarch skyscrapers. Wow. Yeah. Really thin, super tall. And, and that one really sticks out in Manhattan. Imagine if that was built in, in just, yeah. you know, the rural yeah. countryside. In a, in a field, in a village. It's really like an erector set, right? Yeah, that's incredible. But Starley's right. It is. It's like a giant ad. I mean, they really should put the city name on the side of it like they do with water towers in in rural towns. That's basically what it is. So uh, I'm intrigued by it, but I don't know. I think skyscrapers belong in cities. I think as a team, we should not endorse this proposed, quote unquote, skyline slash skyscraper. I think we have to give this the EPM thumbs down. Do you guys agree? Yeah. yeah. It's too obvious having a, a rich man yeah. have to build the tallest. Put a huge cock in the middle of a field it's, that yeah. everyone has to look at yeah. all the time. John, you know what it reminds me of is the pickle of our childhood. Yeah, the pickle building in Durham. Hu- hugely controversial in our childhood when this emerald green glassed phallus was erected and, and shot out of the tree line as we would drive from Chapel Hill to Durham. Never failing to cause a cutting comment from my father's lips as we passed by as to its absurdity. It's actually the Avi that I use for my secret Twitter account, Shitty Skylines. Oh, wow. And what is it, an NCNB building? It's a bank, right? Or CCB? It's just called University Tower. (laughs) I love building names. Oh, yeah, but, it, but, but it was it was called the Pickle Building, and then I looked it up once, and actually the guy who designed it, his last name was Pickle. Oh, I thought it was because it just looked like a pickle. Yeah, so did I. Oh, that's wonderful. Oh, wow. All right, three North Carolina questions. Here we go, John. One, two, three. The clock is a ticking. Okay. Gordon writes in the North Carolina governor market on Predicted. Republican is trading at like ten or twelve cents. While I don't expect Republican Dan Forrest to beat incumbent Democrat Roy Cooper, there's no way the spread stays this big forever. Grab your kayaks, he says. John, is there wisdom in Gordon's suggestion that we all ride the waves in the North Carolina governor market? I didn't think so before, but a few days ago, a poll came out showing the governor race in North Carolina tied That's 46 to 46. Cool. And this same company had... Um, the presidential race at um, 46, 43, Trump leading, which that that's a, a possibility. So most people believe that Cooper is up 15 or 20 points 
And Gravis Marketing is not a quality pollster. So in some ways, I want to discount it, but I don't know. Maybe things have changed. Maybe people in North Carolina are upset about the Confederate monuments getting pulled down or they're upset about coronavirus. It's hard for me to believe that Forrest has a chance. Well, Cooper is still at 85 cents on predicted as of this recording. So predicted obviously is unmoved at this point. I will read you the top comment in the comments section under this market. LOL, one garbage poll commissioned by OANN shows Cooper and Forrest tied while literally every other poll shows a double digit Cooper lead and suddenly Dem share drop and GOP shares rise. Wow, people are stupid. I would agree with that, except for the fact that they think the presidential race, they seem to have So if you have money to play with, maybe you jump in and you and you buy shares of Republican Dan Forrest unseating Roy Cooper for governor of North Carolina. Yeah, because it's not going to go higher than 85. So you you wouldn't have to worry about losing that money all of a sudden. Um, And then maybe another poll like this comes out showing it close and then it goes to, you know, closer to 50 50 and you sell, make a little money, make a little money. I hope Roy Cooper wins re-election. That was a nail biter. Woo! In 2016, it was less than a point, wasn't it? Yeah, it was very close. Yes. Yeah. Several thousand votes, actually. Our next North Carolina question is from Paul. He says, I have a question for the North Carolinians. Have you read this disturbing post from Reddit? <laughs> I always love to get asked if I've read the latest disturbing post <laughs> on Reddit. Uh, North Carolina residents are hassling the shit out of visitors who are wearing masks. I have serious reservations about North Carolina voting blue in November. So, John, Paul is saying that the attitude towards mask wearing could be a bellwether for the political outcome of the elections. What do you think about this? Is this a data uh, point in the favor of Republicans dominating North Carolina? Uh, they're not going to dominate North Carolina. They could certainly win. I think it will be one of the closest states. Apparently, this incident happened out in um, Carolina Beach. You know, this this isn't one of the most progressive areas of North Carolina. I was surprised. I have been to this beach. I think the worst I've ever seen in that is you might see a Confederate flag or, or so on somebody's pickup truck. It doesn't strike me as, as a place where this would happen. But I'm not saying that it didn't happen. I'm just saying that this person probably got unlucky and ran into the wrong crowd. I guess my question about the coronavirus and mask usage when it comes to North Carolina electoral politics is, John, North Carolina was doing a great job at keeping those numbers down. And then what happened, John? North Carolina COVID numbers are up. What the fuck? Yeah, we 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 opened up too soon. Everyone did. And the numbers are going up. The deaths haven't followed yet. I, th- I think it's possible that, you know, we've opened up and that all the high risk people are still staying at home. And so a lot of the people that are are getting COVID now are the younger, healthier people. This is going to be a year where no one sees their parents. I know. Yeah. I want to end on a, I want to end with our third, our third missive from North Carolina is a bit of an uplifting one, John. And it pains me to say this, but I didn't at first recognize its personal significance to us. Noah sent us a Patreon message. Noah supports us on Patreon, as you can as well. Patreon.com slash election profit makers. You can go there for exclusive audio content. Lots of Skyline related goodness. He wrote us from Greensboro to say that he decided to to take our advice and be an old fuddy-duddy helping out at protests, Black Lives Matter protests in Greensboro, North Carolina. And he really went all in. I was impressed. 
he actually had medical training because he used to be in the Marines and also he was a Boy Scout. And he was just talking about his experience out on the streets in Greensboro, helping people and dealing with with cops. It was a lovely message. It made me feel good. Then John Kimball was like, yeah, Noah's the best. And I was like, how do you know Noah? John Kimball was like, we went to high school with him. You fucking idiot. It, yeah. I didn't realize it was Noah D. I'm not going to use his whole name because I don't know if yeah. he wants to be publicized. Noah D, drummer in uh, Rebelkugan. In Rebelkugan. And then John and I had a huge fight about whether Noah was the drummer in Rebelkugan. And I swear to God, Noah, send us a Patreon message. You drummed in Rebelkugan, right? Mm. Noah was, and he was in the theater. He was a theater guy, but he was the, a, you know, the guys who are the AV theater guys. Noah was the first person I ever saw to have a belt loop that had gaff tape on it this was in high school that was so hardcore i didn't see that again until i was hosting a tv show and i'm he was hanging out with the crew noah had a little recording studio in the in his basement with a drum setup and that's where we would record all the compilation albums of all the high school bands back in 1990 oh noah i'm sorry that i didn't make the connection that this is the noah yeah the noah who legendarily in band i i wasn't even in band class but aaron told me this later noah and aaron both played clarinet they sat beside each other in band class and apparently once mr procopio made some suggestion and noah turned to aaron and said that's just so crazy it just might work and aaron would not shut up about how funny and amazing it was that noah actually pulled off saying that legendary phrase in a context in which it made sense and was hilarious <laughs> so noah i just want to say it's great to hear from you I hope you're well, and thank you so much for everything you did in Greensboro. It really uh, really made me feel good to read about your activism, and I hope you still play the drums, Noah. God damn, I can't believe Noah wrote us, John. I know, and he looks exactly the same. He looks great. He looks exactly the same. I've just started moisturizing because I'm getting old, and I'm dried out. And uh, Noah must have started moisturizing the moment he got handed his diploma on the stage at the Dean E. Smith Athletic Center because he looks good. <laughs> Noah, you look young. You look healthy. It was great to hear from you. Thank you, Noah. That's niche content, but I think that's how you build a brand. Yeah. Yeah. That's how you build a ban- brand or you build the tallest building in the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're showing people a new way. If you don't want to spend money building a huge <laughs> skyscraper in a field in Denmark, to alienate everybody, you can also just shout out people from high school who you haven't seen in 20 <laughs> years. That's another way to throw your dick around. Hey guys, it's John and Starley. David doesn't know we're recording this. We just wanted to say really quickly that it's David's birthday. So if everyone can hit David up on Twitter and wish him a happy birthday, it'll be a day late, but that's okay. He doesn't know we're recording this. David is the best, the originator, one of the greatest of all time. We wish him a happy birthday. Yeah, happy birthday, David. We love you. This year doesn't even count, David, because we all lost this year. You're not actually 55. You're still 54. Yeah. That's a joke. He's, he's not that old. He's actually 38. And now back to our regular show. John, have you given any consideration to what this week's investment will be? Well, I I am still in that 538 polling market, which I said weeks and weeks ago that uh, Trump was not going to drop below 40%. And a lot of the big oracles on Predictit were saying that he was, and I faded them. And and, uh, I'm looking pretty good right now. So I'm feeling pretty smart about that. I bought into North Carolina because it got down to a price that I thought was good. For the presidential election, you mean? Yeah, for the presidential election. Go on. I bought Democrats to win there at at 51 cents. And have you been following the Fiserv market? I have a feeling 
that the coronavirus cases in Oklahoma are going to double in the next few weeks. Holy shit. And that might really? cause the yes market for the Democrats having their convention at Fiserv in Milwaukee. I still have my position that they're not going to hold it in Milwaukee. I'd keep an eye on that one. It's it's like at around at 50 cents right now. So it's it's dropped a lot. Starly, do you have a bet of the week? Maybe I'll bet on that one. Get in on this Fiserv market. I love it. Yeah. Markets about buildings. It's literally a market about a, a building, <laughs> a structure. We have to bet on it. We have to support predict it. Whenever they talk about a building, we got to get in on it. Oh, I wish they had bets about markets about these statues coming down. Can you imagine? Who would have bet on the Teddy Roosevelt statue in front of the American Natural History Museum coming down? Ooh, that would have been a good market. Oh my God, what a market. And then you could go out and pull down the... St- I guess it would be problematic if people were just pulling down statues to make back their money on predictive, but that would be a good market. <laughs> okay, I am betting that Elliot Engel will not win the Democratic primary for New York's 16th district. Uh, it's not a cheap no, but it feels like a safe no. So I'm in at 63 cents. Goodbye, Elliot Engel. As a fellow mustache enthusiast, gives me no pleasure to see your mustache recede from the halls of establishment democratic power. But perhaps it's time for new mustaches. Did any of the skateboarders yesterday have mustaches like yours? Well, obviously, most of them were masked. I will only say that the most incredible thing I saw was a guy showed up on his skateboard and he had made a massive black flag that said Black Lives Matter on it. And everyone was taking turns skateboarding through the plaza and then doing a jump off, you know, a staircase and then landing on the plaza below. And this dude pulled off the jump with the flag and everyone lost their mind. It was the toughest thing in the world. And I'm still kicking myself that I didn't capture it on video because it was truly amazing. And then they did a ride along. Kind of like the one that I did in South Central a couple of weeks ago on my bike, where they're like, all right, now we're going to go skate and take over these streets and wave our Black Lives Matter signs. And watching all the kids, you know, the sound of a skateboard is just like so iconic and specific. And then hearing like hundreds of skateboards, like I actually got a little emotional. I actually choked up watching all these kids take over the streets on their skateboards. Again, the kids are the best. The adults are the worst. It was it was made me really hopeful. Yeah, I'm going to learn how to skateboard. I think when you're 48, that's when doctors say is the perfect time to learn how to skateboard. So I'm going to start that. And then I'm going to start a skateboarding podcast. No bozos. What's that mean? That's just like a skater's term. I had a skateboard and I had a sticker that said that on there. (laughs) (laughs) Election Profit Makers is a Radio Point production with executive producers Alex Bach, Rich Corson, and Daniel Powell. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash electionprofitmakers can also send us your election prediction questions or skateboarding advice or skyline judgments to contact at electionprofitmakers.com. Please rate and review us on iTunes, the hippest place to rate and review podcasts. Remember to order lighter water. There's no reason to break your arm trying to drink a glass of water. Try lighter water today. It's the same great taste, the same powerful hydration, It just weighs less. That's lighter water, the writer water. I am uh, David Reese, and I'll talk to you soon. Starly, I will talk to you soon. And John, I will talk to you soon. Goodbye to the two of you. And now also you can say goodbye. Damn, I fucking nailed that. Woo! That was incredible. Bye. Goodbye.